Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Lifetime Value. My name is Rithik. Today, I'm extremely excited to have the CCO, the Chief Commercial Officer of Justo, one of Mexico's leading, if not the best, e-commerce grocery store. Alejandro has been part of the founding team of Justo, and together with the CEO and the executive team, they've achieved a lot of success in approximately a year since launch. They've been able to raise $20 million in about less than a year and achieved about 330% growth in that time. Today, Alejandro is here to talk about how his team has been able to achieve such great success in such a short period of time, share his background and what led to the founding of Justo and how he's able to keep existing customers happy while having this insane growth and what makes the Mexican market so attractive for Justo. So without further ado, please help me welcome Alejandro. Hi, Ritik. Thank you very much. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm also very excited. I have been in, in a tons of interviews, but I think this is my first uh, podcast. I am also really, really excited about it. Well, I, I will tell you a little bit about myself. I have been yes. working for tech companies for the past 10 years. I started my life in startups uh, when I joined Cabify back in 2015. Mm -hmm. uh, I was one of the first employees here at, at Cabify, uh, and I joined as the head of sales basically mm -hmm. to develop all our B2B strategy. After 10 months of a very successful re-ramp of the platform here in Mexico City, I became the global head of sales and basically designed all the B2B strategy of the company. Back then, we were only in four countries. Mm -hmm. Then I was part of the expansion team that was led by Ricardo, the founder of, of Justo. We opened like 40 cities in six months. It was crazy, crazy times. Wow. And after we finished the expansion, I became the country manager for Mexico. And I was country manager for Mexico for about three years or, or so. And after that, I moved to a global position. I became the, the VP of Strategic Alliances. And I was talking to, to some of the most important companies in Latin America to see how we can work together, Cabify and, and, and their companies. And we had actually really good uh, alliances back then. I received an opportunity to join an American company that is called Instructure. I have been a professor myself for the mm -hmm. past 18 years. I'm wow. in love with education. Th th that's what I want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the, of the best ways to, to give back to, to my country what I have learned. So I received a call from this company named Instructure. They do some epic uh, software. Mm -hmm. They are the, the, the creators of Canvas, but it's a digital platform. And they asked me to become their VP for Latin America. So I decided to join them and basically spend a year and a half talking to the most important private universities in the region, in Brazil, Colombia, Mexico, Chile, helping them to develop their online programs and moving them to online education. That is for sure the, the future. I know Ricardo when we were both studying in, in high school and uh, he invited me to be part of, of Cabify. I was working in a in a family-owned business uh, when, when Ricardo asked me to join him in Cabify. Then I went to, to Instructure, and it was in 2019 when he pitched me about Husto, and I completely fell in love with the project, the vision, and what, what the company was trying to do. So I decided first to invest most of my savings in Husto, then join the second founder. It was a difficult decision because I was super happy with, uh, with Instructure. It's an amazing mm -hmm. company. It, it was the first time for me that I worked for a, a public company in the U.S., 
So okay. coming coming from a startup and moving to a super huge company with really good processes and, and all that was was a really good thing for me. But I was so in love with with Houston, the project that I decided to quit and join as a as the chief commercial officer. At the beginning, I was like, yeah, I mean, it cannot be as difficult as, as Cabify, right? And I'm going to yeah. be like the head of the procurement department. How hard can it be to buy products? I mean, we have money, uh, we have platform to sell those products, so it should be super easy to buy products. Mm-hmm. Oof. I think this is the, <laughs> the, 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 the most difficult work I have ever had. Wow. It's super, super, super complex. And that is that is how I joined Husto. I have been there for a year now and well, yeah, very surprised with what we are doing as well. I mean, it's it's amazing what we have been able to do. We basically build a supermarket in six months. Look, as a customer, I'm extremely impressed with what you guys are doing. On the surface, perhaps people might be like, oh, this is just another insert blank e-grocery store, you know? But in reality, what I feel, especially in times like these, is uh, the attention to detail that you guys put that you don't see anywhere else. For our listeners as well, I met Alejandro through an introduction from Ricardo, whom I cold emailed on LinkedIn. So I'm extremely excited to speak with Justo, which is why I've really gone above and beyond to get Alejandro on the podcast. So maybe we can dig a bit deeper. Why don't you explain a bit more of the process of Justo and how perhaps it's different from any of the other e-grocery stores? Yeah, for sure. So basically, Justo is the first 100% online supermarket in Mexico, and we think ourselves as pioneers in in Latin America. And this is very important because we are not a traditional e-commerce. I mean, some of the of the grocery stores that are now in in the Mexican market do have a platform to sell their products, mm-hmm. and they send the products to your home. But that's it. I mean, we, when, when we say we are the first 100% online supermarket in Mexico, we are saying that we have tech in all our supply chain. Okay. Uh, and that's super important for, for us. So what we're trying to do is building the technology to become the Latin America's favorite supermarket, like in less than 10 years. So it's a very aggressive objective, the one that, that we have, but we really think that we can do can do that and we can achieve that. We offer consumers locally sourced products. That's something that, that it's very important. We do offer CPGs products. Like you can find all the, the brands uh, within Houston, but we're really focusing on giving the, the, the local producers and the small mm-hmm. companies the opportunity to reach uh, grocery stores. It's super difficult for a small company to sell in a really huge chain, mm-hmm. like a Walmart or something like that. Uh, uh, so what we're trying to do is help them to reach the, the, the population of the of the country through Husto. And we have no physical stores. We are now operating with uh, dark stores. Okay. So we do have supermarkets, but they are not open to, to public. And that makes us super efficient in, in some ways. In terms of uh, comparing us with companies like Rappi or Corner, or Corner Shop, for example, uh, they usually have a shopper mm-hmm. in a traditional supermarket picking all the products, yep. right? So we don't do that. Yeah. I mean, we do have some pickers, but we're very efficient because we don't have one person picker, one picker picking one one customer's supermarket or products. We have like technology. We developed something that we call Atlas, and it's basically like a waste within okay. our supermarket so that, that the pickers can pick the products really, really, really fast, right? And yeah. the way we put the products in the stands is different. You can find in Houston, like the milk, very close to tuna. Oh. Because that's that's how the products 
moves. So so we are super fast when when picking. We have like four pillars, and, and you mentioned one of them. The first one is the guaranteed quality. We call them mm -hmm. frescos más frescos. We are we have the best fruits and vegetables in the country. That that we can say. I mean, mm -hmm. we, we put a lot of, of effort in having really good quality products, right? Because that's how we want to differentiate ourselves with the rest of the supermarkets. We are offering a best-in-class delivery. Okay. Okay, so we want our products to be on time or the, the supermarket to be on time always. Fill rate above 99.9%. Mm -hmm. .9%, so we are aiming for 100% wow. fill rate. That means that you will get what you bought. And that's also super important for us. Uh, and fair practices with every stakeholder. Right? Mm -hmm. the, the commercial conditions we offer to our suppliers are really, really good compared to what, what the market is used to, to offer. So that will be like the main differentiators that, 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 that we have. Very well said. Now, if I may just dig slightly deeper, since you guys are really creating something out of nothing, especially perhaps in the Mexico Latam space, how especially as the commercial officer, you know, you, you manage the unit economics of it because like you said, you know, everything needs to be fresh. Everything needs to be on time. Those tiny little costs do add up, especially when you have an inventory that could go bad. I don't know, in a few hours or in a couple of days, how does that compare to like the unit economics where, you know, you're, you're a big market chain and we can get a lot of savings uh, in in other parts of the of the supply chain. For example, let's talk about real estate. Okay. Right? We don't have to, to mm. have a huge store. Mm -hmm. We don't need to spend in decorating the store. Yes. Right. So we, we can we can be very efficient. We take less less space than than other supermarkets. We operate right now a supermarket in in Mexico City that it's really near Colonia Polanco, but it's one mm -hmm. of the high-end communities in, in Mexico City. And we're paying, I would say, 60% less than other mm -hmm. supermarkets that are in the region because of real wow. estate uh, and because of other overheads that are part of being in an important uh, street, right, in, in front of everyone. Uh, so yep. we, we, get, we get that. The second thing is the way we operate our micro-fulfillment centers. So we don't have a huge series okay. where we send all our products and then we distribute to the micro-fulfillment centers. We go directly from the producer to our micro-fulfillment centers. So we gain some, some days there and that makes us able to, to provide better, better pricing for, for our customers. Got so it. I think part, part, part of the model let us invest more in, mm -hmm. in good quality products. Very well said. Now, moving on to the next question, which is, you know, in a very short period of time, you guys have raised a lot of money and experienced a high growth. So first of all, congratulations. How did you guys go about raising all this money, getting all of the people interested? And secondly, impressive growth is sometimes a double-edged sword, right? I mean, you can have really good growth, but then a lot of times to manage that exponential growth, you need to be prepared with your uh, base level technology, your talent, etc. How are you able to manage that while being able to keep your current customers happy? Okay, so I will uh, answer the first question. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that we, we do have a really good product and a really, a, a really good 
uh, value proposition, and that is why we are so attractive to to the investors in the in the region, all the venture capitals and, and all the companies that have uh, believed in in us. We're we're trying to do things differently. Mm-hmm. We're being able to prove that we are doing things differently and that we are making a, a huge impact in the in the industry, even though we have one year in the market. And the third thing is that we are doing something that nobody's doing right now. Mm-hmm. And it has to do with using data to help customers to decide which products are the best for them. Right. So if if we are we, we have really good quality uh, data that will help us give customers uh, an idea of what products that are new mm-hmm. in the in the market will fit their needs. And that's something that no one is, is doing. I mean, you have Amazon maybe doing that, or you have other companies that are using machine learning to predict. But in the e-grocery store, you have like no one doing, doing that. Mm-hmm. And because we are a very small company or a startup, we can develop the technology faster. Uh, and of course, I have to say that we have a, a dream team within yeah. the executive team. So that that also it's, it's very appealing. I mean, you have Ricardo Veder as a as a CEO, but then you have another co-founder, Ricardo Martinez. He's former CEO of Netshoes and a really smart guy. And then you have Fernando Vega, our CTO. She's a mm-hmm. first employee of uh, or, or one of the first employees in Mercado Libre and then OLX. And he's been in in e-commerce all his life with a lot of experience. He worked in China. So yeah. I mean, we have a we have a, a dream team. Our C level team is is amazing. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's also uh, an important part of how of why companies are are, are investing in in us. Uh, about how we manage the expansion, oof, <laughs> it's been very difficult. I think none of us, not the co-founders or not even the founding team, was aware of how difficult the operation would be. Yeah. I mean, and and for us, it's all about focusing in our value proposition, right? That's 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 how we manage all the all the the issues we have on the day-to-day operations. We we have like three main goals: mm-hmm. uh, the freshness of products, being able to deliver on time, and a super high fill rate. And all the decisions we make are based on the positive impact on those three pillars. So when we have a problem, we always come up with three solutions to each problem. A very super short-term focused solution. We need to solve the problem and we need to solve it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, always with looking at those three pillars, like how mm-hmm. are we going to impact this decision, how it's going to impact those those uh, three pillars. And we solve, the, we solve the problem as soon as possible, right? But then we do also have a mid-term solution that imply maybe a modification of our processes or creating a new process. So we, we don't only like give solution to that to the problem immediately because sometimes when we do that we break all the processes that we have because mm-hmm. we, we need to do that just to, to make sure things keep going. But then we take time to think about a midterm solution that will involve analyzing all the processes and seeing uh, seeing what we can do in order to get rid of that problem forever. And then we do have a th- a third uh, solution for the long term that that we involve tech. So we try to solve all our problems with tech. So we involve the, the tech team, the product team, and we think about how with technology we can solve the problem that we that we had. So that's the approach that we have. First, we need to solve the problem no matter how. Mm-hmm. Then we need to find a way uh, in the midterm to change the way we are doing things in order to, to avoid that problem in the near future. And then we try to, to, to involve 
tech to see how with technology we can we can get that problem solved. And it's basically okay. that's what we are we are doing every every single day, right? Trying to solve problems and thinking how we can get rid of those problems in the near future. Got it. Very well said. To sort of give my personal experience as well, when I ordered, I, I forgot that I ordered from you guys and hadn't gone out to the checkout. And within like half an hour, I got a call from a very friendly customer service lady who mentioned that I, you know, if I want to continue and what do I want to do, etc. And that is that level of detail that you know that you don't see from other people, and probably why you must be getting a lot of recurring business once people are on your platform. Now, what makes the Mexican market, in your opinion, so attractive, or what makes it different from perhaps the rest of Latin? The first thing, of course, is the size of the yeah. country. It's all, it's always very appealing to to most of the of the companies, uh, but I think that we have really good economic conditions here in, in Mexico. I mean, we are an emerging economy. We have been quite stable through the years. Uh, there's a lot of access to, to capital. An important thing, uh, we have very evolved consumers, I think, compared to other countries, maybe not Brazil, but we do have some early adopters, tech-savvy people, uh, especially in some cities. I would say Mexico City, Guadalajara, people is willing to try new things. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's also very appealing to, to some of the, of the, of the companies. Uh, the word of mouth marketing in Mexico is amazing. Okay. So that, that, that's, that's like something that is super helpful. And I would say that is why some, some companies are very interested in, in Mexico. No? We do have some guns, of course, I would say, and I will speak from my past experiences, both in education and in, in mobility, right? Hailing company mm -hmm. regulations. Yeah. Like there are still some regulations to navigate and it's not easy. Okay. Right? You coming from the fintech world know what I'm talking about. Absolutely. Right. So, so it's it's difficult to navigate through those regulations. Sometimes we as uh, startup companies move very fast, and our government is not as fast as we would like to. Right. I've been doing some negotiations with governments in Colombia, for example, or or in Chile, and they, they their openness is bigger than the one that we have here in in Mexico. And another problem that we have is the bancarization of the country. Yeah. When you go, when you are into online, pay, online payments, your market gets really reduced mm -hmm. because of the, the bancarization of the, the population is not as it should be. Like mm -hmm. if you go to Brazil, it's amazing how everybody is or has a credit card or a debit card and they, they do use it for their day, for their, their day to day mm -hmm. uh, transactions. Here in Mexico, the use of cash is huge. So mm -hmm. when you are involved in a tech company that uses credit cards as a, meta, as a method of payment, uh, it's difficult to, 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 to get traction at the beginning because you have a very small or, or the, the population that you are aiming is reduced. Yeah. Uh, but overall, I think it's one of the most attractive markets in the region with Colombia and Brazil, maybe. And that's because we have a very evolved consumer-based population. Right? Very good point. One interesting thing that perhaps uh, we can also talk about is, and I'm not sure whether you might agree or disagree with this, that I feel there might be a correlation to Justo's growth with COVID-19. Now that you can't physically go to a store and now you have this option to do everything online, bundle it, great customer service. What will happen when things start sort of slowly opening again and people start visiting physical stores again that are next to the house. Uh, of course, it will be like 
a life we say that COVID didn't help. Of course it helped. And uh, the ratio, the, the growth ratio that we had back then at the beginning of, uh, of, of COVID was just amazing, right? So yes, it helps. Of, of course it, it helped. Uh, and I think that it helped not only us, but it helped people to start looking into new options, online options to get uh, their, 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 their basic needs. What will happen when COVID is more under control and people start to, 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 to going out again? Uh, I think that we will see a disacceleration in the growth rate. We will still grow, of course. We are quite small compared to the population that, that, that we have here in, in Mexico. We're going to expand, uh, expand ourselves to other, to other cities. So we will continue with super high growth rates. Uh, but I think that people is no more aware of the the good things that an e-commerce have in 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 e-groceries. One mm-hmm. of the main reasons people were like not willing to buy their supermarket online uh, has to do with quality. They want to see the tomatoes. They want to mm. to to see the products that they are buying, especially in, in fruits and vegetables and maybe proteins and and all that. Because if you are going to buy, I don't know, any other product like milk you know that you will buy your milk and the milk will be milk like yeah. like always right but when it, it, it when, when you're talking about the fresh products people want to see their products mm-hmm. and historically supermarkets have not been doing a really good job with those uh departments or, or, mm-hmm. or categories so now that they know that they have a really good option that will provide really good quality products uh we'll start to disincentivize them to visit the physical, physical store. So we, we mm. really think that we will be able to maintain this, this growth rate because of the experience that we're offering the, the user. I mean, they can spend time outside, but I mean, I, I don't know. Some people like to go to a supermarket. For me, super boring. Yeah. Uh, super boring. Like, I think that you can spend your time doing other things outside rather than going to a, to a supermarket. And now that they have an option and that they know that they will get really good products, that they, they they will continue to to use a new grocery store or Husta. Very well said. I normally do on the podcast, which is called Payback Period. The guest is supposed to ask me a question. Based on your experience, and you have been involved in in, in this innovation bubble that we're trying to, to or that, that we are, we are into, uh, what does it take for Mexico to become an innovation hub for the region? How does it, what do we need to do as Mexicans, as a community to have the next Silicon Valley here? We have, we have seen a really good example in Colombia with Rappi and all the ecosystem that yep. they are creating, right? So what do it takes here in Mexico to, to have something, something Similar. strong in terms yeah. of, yeah, in terms of innovation health? Because we have a really, we have really good companies here in the region. Yes. Our fintech industry is amazing. We have Gavac, that it's an amazing company. Yes. So, so we, we do have, uh, we have Hust, of course. So we do yes. have really good things going on. Yeah, that's a very good question. And I've had a lot of conversations and, and thought about this myself. I feel that it comes down to a few things. One is just the general sense of risk-taking. Outside this innovation bubble that we have or, or group of entrepreneurs that we have, the average Mexican isn't as uh, interested in, you know, my aim is I want to start my own business by the time I'm 30, 31 or whatever. Uh, I feel a lot of them are like, okay, you know what? I want my pension at the end. I want to have the nine to five job and there's nothing wrong with it. 
but it definitely holds back a few people who are sort of interested in, in creating the next big thing. And everybody may have a great idea, especially in the banking space. You know, there's so much we could be doing better. And a lot of people have such great comments, but then when you ask them, why don't you go ahead and do it? They're like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm ready. So I think that general level of risk taking, which with the success of companies like uh, Kavak, Justo, Confio, Craig Justo, it's getting more mainstream. So it's creating a virtuous cycle where people are realizing it's not as risky as it may have been maybe five to 10 years ago. And there's a thrill in it that once you've done something, you've created something out of nothing. So that I think with time will change, but it needs to be strong. The, the second you nailed it regulation that it has to become more friendly. I mean, case in point with the FinTech law, you know, it's, it's just, it's always just rolling around and then you're waiting to hear something and then suddenly goes blackout again. So I feel that regulation needs to catch up with the innovation. And that's something that perhaps the future entrepreneurs can lobby or become part of the regulation body and help drive this into the future. The third thing I felt is talent. And this is changing very quickly as well. When I joined Confio, you know, the people who were really interested in joining um, were very eager people. But a lot of times you would feel that in terms of the real technical skill, it was hit or miss. And myself included. It gave the time for me to learn and, and catch up and move fast. But then if let's say I were to try that in Silicon Valley, I don't think I would have made it. You know, that like there was a school in the beginning where everybody was learning together through making a ton of mistakes. The, those are my thoughts on, on how it can. And I would love to hear from you as well. Like, what do you think is regulations? Yeah. For me, that's, that's the basic thing that we need to, to, to address as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Right now in, the, in, the, in this business, in the e-groceries uh, industry, I think we do have some regulations. I mean, it's not that bad. But back then when I was in, in mobility and right hailing, oof, it was a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I have been very close to some fintechs uh, as well. And oh, yes, that, that absolutely. It, it's, a, it's a day-to-day struggle. Absolutely. And the second one, I would say... It has to do with more companies. We need to develop more Mexican venture capital companies. We do right. have a lot of investment, uh, but the thing is that, that companies that are investing in Mexico are usually investing in, in ex-startup like gurus. Like, I mean, yes. all, the, all the founders, you see Kavak, like the, it's the Lino Mafia, right? And then yes. you have the, the Cabify Mafia with Ricardo Veder, with me, uh, with uh, Kearney from Runa. Uh, so they are usually yeah. investing only in, in people and in projects that, that they know that will have a really good opportunity. But I don't see venture capital, venture capitals that are investing in people with no experience at all, like mm-hmm. venture builders. We do have some, like we do have some really good venture capitals in, in Mexico. Uh, we work with Montanasca, for example, and mm-hmm. they are amazing it's the best thing that can that, that can happen to to justo but you don't see a lot of them right you see like five six mm-hmm. venture capital firms and and that's it so absolutely that is very well said and it's something i hope changes once 
a bunch of the successful entrepreneurs exit and they have all their billions to invest, they'll start, yeah. they'll start putting it back in the ecosystem again. Yeah, very well said. So before we wrap up, would you like to give any last piece of advice for future entrepreneurs or any interesting updates you want to share about Husto to our potential listeners? Yeah, for sure. Uh, about Husto, we're starting to expand our presence in the, in the region. We, we start our operations in, uh, in Querétaro. A few weeks ago, and we're planning to to continue our expansion through the through the rest of the of the year. So, if you're not from Mexico City, just mm-hmm. be be aware that we might be in your city uh, in the in the in the near future. And I think that will be it. Right? Thank you very much, Ricky. Great to to talk to you. Likewise, thank you so much for taking time out. Would you like to share your contact information if anybody wants to speak with you personally? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's kind of uh, my my last name is kind of difficult. So, but you can okay. you can send me an email, of course. Yeah, it's it's Asis Niega. It's A S I S N I E G A. Yep. Justo dot mx. Yeah. And you can also find me in LinkedIn with Alejandro Cisniega. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, all the best to Justo. You guys are doing amazing work. Thank you so much again, Alejandro. This was so much fun. Well, thank you, Ritik, and please let us know if we are not doing the right things. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we like to, to, to listen. Absolutely. From our we'll customers. Do. And thank you for your time as well. Thank you.